Hello there and welcome to another very special edition of the Selection Box for our independent bookstores series. So far in our series, we have been all around Ireland. We've met Joanne Hunter from Books at One in Lewisburg and Kevin Gildee, the owner and creator of the phenomenon known as Kevin Gildee's Brilliant Bookshop in Dunleary. Well, if those two stores are the youngsters of the group, Kenny's in Galway is without a shadow of a doubt the granddaddy of them all. Kenny's located on the Tume Road, just outside the city, celebrated 80 years in business back in 2020. It's been a hell of a ride, but unlike so many others, Kenny's resilience and ability to adapt to change might be the keys to their survival. Here today to tell me how this small family-run business began on the high street as a result of a university romance and became only the second bookstore in the world to go online in 1994. That, that beats Amazon, by the way. And today is recognised as an Irish literary institution of both independent bookselling and the arts itself is Tomás Kenny. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great honour. Well, uh, take us back. Uh, like, y- you obviously were told the story of how Des and Maureen met. So m- maybe you can give us your version of events. I understand they were both, were they in the same course at UCG? Yeah, they, they both did arts. I mean, at the time, there was, I think in the course of when my when my grandmother and grandfather were there, there was, they went over 100 students in, in the college. So... It was, and then when my father was there, they went over a thousand, uh, and now there's I think twenty thousand there. This was in UCG or NUIG now, so yeah. So they 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 had a, um, it was hard for them to avoid bumping into each other, I guess, at, with 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 those sorts of student levels. And uh, yeah, they were like they came from very different um, circumstances. Like my my grandfather, his father would have been well known in Galway. He he founded the Connacht Tribune and. Uh, was kind of heavily involved in the start, setting up of like Board Falcha and a lot of so he would have been fairly well known mm. and um I suppose third level education would have been you know a luxury that he might have expected as 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 such. Whereas my grandmother um she was from Mohill in County Leitrim and uh her uh, mother ran a pub uh in Mohill and I would say bled herself dry so as my granny could uh First of all, go to Monaghan to, to boarding school and then on to, to Galway for college. So she was very, very lucky. And yeah, they they met uh, very early on in college, fell in love. And uh, in 1940, they set up a bookshop in the middle of the war, which um, I think my grandfather wanted to set up a fish and chip shop initially. <laughs> and uh, there was a, a lot of jokes in subsequent years and decades uh, that uh, we all might have been better off financially had he, <laughs> had he pursued that course of action. Um, but uh, no, they set up a they set up a bookshop uh, in a and small room. And that consisted of two two rooms essentially, mm. one for them to live in, and one just filled with books. And it, it just seems like just so so like it's obviously a different time, but it was a bit of a it, it was a bit of a roll of the dice. Uh, you know, Maureen has, you know, since passed, of course, but she's regarded as this force of nature, specifically her, that if she put her mind to something, it was going to happen. Is that how the story is passed down to you? Yeah, well, I suppose I, I was very lucky. I, I'm working in the business full time 20 years now, 21 years. And uh, 
I would have been, you know, in for summers and stuff before that, but she would have been there, you know, until she, you know, she was in her mid eighties when she uh, stopped working in the, in the shop, you know? So it wasn't so much passing down the stories as she'd just be telling me them herself, you know, <laughs> and she absolutely was a force of nature. You know, she was, uh, she was very, very, very capable at everything, you know, and even like the way she spoke, she was very measured, you know, she would take her time with every sentence. She would think through everything she was doing before she would do it, which is a trait that I wish had been passed down to me. But yeah, she was amazing. You know, I mean, my, my grandfather died. Um, he was when I was very young and I, I do know and remember him, but not in a not in a work capacity. And uh, like he was, by all accounts, you know, fantastic as well. And certainly some of the stories we we, we know of him going around uh, Ireland and the UK buying books, you know, and coming home with massive, um, you know, truckloads full of not just books, but kind of, you know, bookshelves and paintings and whatever else may be, you know, possible to that he was there to buy. But yeah, they were they were remarkable people. And I mean, it, it was you know, it's kind of, it's sometimes trite because we do hear it a lot, you know, but it was like the idea of setting up a bookshop in the middle of the war with rationing and, you know, like they were a luxury and a relatively expensive luxury at that at the time. And, uh, you know, like paperbacks weren't a particularly common thing at that point, you know, it was only really Penguin post-war that, that kind of made, you know, books more commercially I suppose, uh, available to the wider population. And uh, so it was a big risk. It was a big, but they just had a massive love of literature and of books. And so I think they, you know, they wanted to be involved in that. And, th- and that was always passed down to us, you know. I mean, for us, like our rock stars were, you know, and I still get like a massive thrill from it, but meeting people like Seamus Heaney or whoever as they come in the door and you might like, you know, trail along with them to the, the pub at the end of the day, for a chat or whatever. And, and I mean, it was amazing and fantastic. And uh, I think that's certainly part of the reason why they set it up because they had such a great love of, of literature and of that sort of cultural circle, as it were. Yeah, I mean, the thing that comes across more and more of the independent booksellers that I meet across Ireland for this series is that spirit, though, of adventure as well, innovation and adventure and uh, risk taking uh, and kind of uh, seeing the wood for the trees. They were doing things that hadn't been done, including opening a bookshop when at a time like that. But I, I read that you know they were among the first to do a book sale. That, that was a concept was was pretty new. Now I am reading this off your your website. What do you know about that when they kind of initiated the first ever book sale? Yeah, I mean there, there was, like you say, that they, they. I mean they were they were trying anything to to turn turn a buck and, and feed their ever growing family. You know. So they they were, you know, they sold tobacco in the bookshop, for example, which, you know, famously does not go well and the the, the smell stick into books, you know. And uh, yeah, there was a thing called the netbook agreement, which only kind of finished up relatively recently where you couldn't sell new books for less than the, the recommended retail price. So it meant that it kept the value of, or the, the price of books really high. And when they set up, we didn't really do sec or didn't really do new books. It was secondhand books. And uh so they'd, yeah, they 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 do a a sale every now and then, and it was like they were they were relatively, I suppose, ahead of their time. You know, they were looking at things like I remember my granny saying this to me about turning the stock. You know, that it was because one 
disease that they had that has been absolutely passed on through the generations to us is we are awful for buying far too many books, you know, um, and, and, and overfilling the place. And uh, so they were, she was very conscious of that. And, she, and so, so they, yeah, they, they used to just be, be very, very brutal with, with the stuff and go like, we'll just, you know, have the price, sell them out. And uh, yeah, it was fairly um, unusual at the time. And even the sales that would happen, they would all happen in, in January and they did two in the year. They did one in January and then one in, in late summer. And um, yeah, they were, uh, they were fantastic, and certainly, I, I my dad talks about it like you know that it was a it was a fantastic uh, kind of weekend or week, and people would come from from far and wide because obviously at that at that time, with, you know, in a pre internet world, it was it was quite difficult to get certain books, and uh, and and some of them could be quite expensive, and um, because print runs were very small then compared to now, and and we we always had a really big stock. So yeah, so people. Well, I'm, I'm completely taken by the methods and the lengths to which your grandparents went to at that time, as we move towards the '50s and how they innovated to uh, turn their attention towards Irish crafts and art. And one story that I heard, because again, for the listeners, wherever you are in the world, it's kind of mad to think that there was a time when people weren't selling rugs and sweaters and baskets and ceramics and little bits of Irish craft, because we just regard it as so synonymous, particularly with Galway. You know, it's just every, it's omnipresent. But, you know, heading down that path and connecting that to books and recognizing that these two things could run side by side was again a step in a new direction that people hadn't gone before. Whose idea was that? Or were these kind of things that Des and Maureen were coming up with just things that they just had, you know, ideas overflowing their cup. Yeah, well, I, I think possibly ideas. I mean, I, and I, I can't speak too much in their behalf because I was, I, you know, I suppose I wasn't there. But, but they were very like I know everything about them, particularly early on before their children kind of joined the business. They were very, it was a partnership. Everything was agreed together, and it was very well thought out. But I think, and, and I mean, initially there wasn't enough money for my my grandfather to work there. So he, there was a textile factory in, in Galway and he was, he was the personnel manager there. He got a, he had to leave the business. He eventually came back, left his job and came back. But so I know in that, and during that time period, my granny started taking in arts and crafts. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was really, really unusual. I mean, we set up in the late sixties, the first art gallery in the West of Ireland and um, pretty much down the entire Western seaboard, you know? So and we'd been selling arts and crafts for kind of 20 years before that in the middle of the bookshop, sort of, you know, um, between shelves and that sort of thing and in windows and, and whatnot. And it was, yeah, it was relatively radical. And it is absolutely hard to kind of think that, you know, these things were, um, you know, there was a time before these things were everywhere. And uh, yeah, but I think I think in, in a similar way to, to loving literature they just they you know they had a great affinity for artists and art and when you know some of those um people who, who were coming in you know were kenneth webb who'd be one of the the best known artists in the country john behan you know really famous um sculptor uh sean keating was the first um the first exhibition in in the in the gallery in, in 68 i think and uh you know he's now massively famous for his his paintings in the twenties, kind of, and and of the on the um, electrical scheme in Ordnacrusha. 
where he documented it for the state. And, and you know, a lot of people would be, well, they might not know his name, but they certainly would know a lot of his paintings. But by the 60s, he'd kind of been forgotten about. And, um, you know, it started a renaissance in his career coming and, and having an exhibition in, in Galway. And I think there was an element of that. You know, the arts in Ireland in the early to mid 20th century were, you know, the we can kind of give out maybe about the like the level of government support that there is now, but it's it's so much better than it was then. There was none, you know, and so it was. You know, I think what my my grandmother and grandfather above all they afforded an opportunity for artists to show their art, whether it was in a printed form or or visual art, you know, of any type. And uh, yeah, it's one of their absolutely great legacies, I think, in Galway and, and in Ireland. So let's jump forward to the thing that I mentioned at the start, and that is the the going online before anyone else had really gone online. You're, you're credited with being the second ever bookstore in the world to do this. And I'm sure you, this gets brought up to you in every interview that you do about it. But it, it is extraordinary to think, like 1994, I doubt very many people in Ireland even knew about the internet at that point. I mean, that sounds mad even to say that, but you're talking, you know, USA 94 is taking place. Nobody was watching the highlights on YouTube. It seems so uh, so blindingly obvious. And again, it's another thing that we just see as part of our lives. But someone in the family went, no, this is where it's going. We need to get there quick. How is that story passed down? And how much of the decision to do that do you think was influenced by all of the decisions, as you say, the trailblazing that was done prior to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the business, you know, my grandmother and grandfather had six kids and five of them went into the business. And that's a lot of mouths to feed for a bookshop, a small bookshop in the West of Ireland, you know. And so I think by that very necessity, they sort of always had to think bigger, you know, than just making ends meet because, you know, in, in, a, in a kind of general sense for that shop. So they, they did, a, I mean, a huge amount. And I think this is where the internet came from for us. They, they did an enormous amount of export, which again would have been really unusual at the time, um, given the costs involved with international travel and, and all the rest of it. Um, like I always remember my, they went to the, the States in the late 70s. And I mean, like they practically needed a mortgage to go. The, the cost was so so substantial to go and come back. And so, but export was massive for us. And we we became the suppliers to the Library of Congress in 1979. And through that to a, a number of other kind of like very big, well-known American universities and institutions. And that meant, I suppose, we were constantly looking abroad. In, in the early 90s, we started selling an awful lot into Japan and into China. So because of that, when this internet... <laughs> you know, when, when, when I suppose words started spreading, I mean, they were vaguely aware of it and nobody of my father's generation would describe themselves now as any sort of an IT wizard or anything approaching it uh, then or now, you know, but what happened was the digital factory in Galway uh, closed down and one of the engineers, so there was a, there was a huge amount all of a sudden of really, really highly educated software engineers and workers who were unemployed yeah so, just hanging uh, around our square yeah <laughs> so one of them decided to set up ireland online and uh his name escapes me now and i apologize but he, he um he came into the shop and he basically said look you're a well-known company 
and you obviously have these links abroad. So how about we'll set up a company a website for you. I'll, I'll build a website for you. And then I'll use this website to sell, you know, to other companies, the idea of having a website. So they, they did that. And, and yeah, I mean, it was remarkable. I mean, I remember, um, distinctly in the, in the early mid nineties where, you know, you'd be getting emails from Colorado, you know, asking, do you have any books on 1798 or something, you know, really bizarre. And then you'd, you'd go and you'd gather them all and you'd, you'd write in really long email. And of course, I mean, nobody was used to even typing on a keyboard at that stage and it was taking forever. And, and, uh, you know, and then you might get a couple of orders and, and all the rest of it. And I mean, it was, it was really, really remarkable. Obviously, you know, as we all know, it took off kind of incredibly, you know, and, uh, and all the rest of it, but it, it, yeah, I suppose it fitted with our, our general sort of viewpoint at the time, which was, and, and still is, which was always that like, we're about Galway and, you know, Galway is our home and we love it. But in order to, to feed all the mouths that we had to feed, we had to look beyond Galway as well. And, and it, it basically gave us a door to do that. So I picked this book today because I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really good idea. And I also think it's a good present You're listening to The Selection like, Box, exclusively available from Irishman Abroad Premium on Patreon.com. I love this book. It's called Boy on Fire by Michael Mark Morgie. And what I loved about it was it's dealing with the early years of his life from... There was one book that I was dipping into, The Power of Full Engagement. I'm mad for these business type books. Yeah, I love Kevin Barry's work. I first got into him when uh, his first book is short. I think he's a brilliant short story writer. His novels are great. So it never occurred to me that like anybody would be interested in reading books written by an Irish woman in an Irish accent. But yeah, I read the short story. I liked it. Something inside of me said, you could do something like that. You know, a book is a way of starting a conversation with somebody. Mm. And it's through the interaction with people that we can build on this sense of community. I think the independent bookshop has that air of I, just the crack and the fun with people and discussing with people what they're interested in. The US trip uh, there that you mentioned and the cost of doing it, first of all, another roll of the dice that pays off when the United States Library of Congress appoints Kenny's as their Irish suppliers. Explain to me what that means and how how that must be even bigger today than ever it was then. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the Library of Congress story is actually quite a funny one because my grandfather went to the States in 79 trying his best to drum up business. And he used to buy books, you know, while he was over there and ship them back and, and, all, and all this. And while he was there, um, we got a letter in Galway from the Library of Congress, which they'd sent to a number of bookshops in Ireland, saying they were seeking to appoint an Irish uh, vendor for all of their books. You know, so what they do is they buy every book published on the island of Ireland that improves the American people's knowledge of Ireland, is basically okay. their remit. Yeah. And uh, so so my dad rang my granddad's hotel. And, I, you know, and again, he says himself, I mean, you know, this was, I, I don't think it was quite in the middle of the oil crisis, but I mean, I, it was... It was one of the, it was during those wars where all of a sudden everything was going okay. And then there was a massive recession and money was very tight. And he, he tells the story of ringing my granddad and just praying he was in the hotel because the phone call itself was going to cost a fortune. Oh my God. And so he got, he got the, uh, he got the hotel and, and my granddad was there. He said, we got this letter. They're looking, you know, 
And Granite said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Washington tomorrow. I'll get the train. So he was in New York. He got the train to, to Washington. And they had sent the letter like four days earlier. <laughs> and <laughs> up, up pops my granddad. So they thought he'd flown over to Washington on spec. Yeah, uh, yeah. Private were, jet. Yeah, and were, were suitably impressed. Um, so, you know, and, and, he, and he got the gig. And, and it was, I mean, it, yeah, like it, it's, it's really... I mean, it, it means a huge amount to us that we're the we're the vendor for them because it's um, you know outside of anything else, we're one of the longest contracted vendors they have anywhere in the world, and you know we have a really good relationship with them. But it's you know it's it's very important for other people in the states, you know, because it's it's a very very you know like it's it's an important thing, you know, and 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 it's a noticeable thing for everybody else, you know, like if we if we're going to Harvard. Do you know, um, it's not so much that they're impressed by it, but they'll if they've never heard of us before, they'll accept our bona fides immediately because of the fact that we are uh, the supplier to Congress. Yeah, so um, because there are so few. So it's um, yeah, it, it, we're, we're very lucky and privileged genuinely to be able to do it. And uh, and it's also a great place to be able to go for a meeting to Congress. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah. well, let's talk about weathering storms here, because you bring up the couple of uh you know, historical moments that when a lot of bookstores have gone under and have bit the dust and through no fault of their own or their ability to sell books or provide a great place for people to find books, Kenny's has survived. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, that resilience and ability to foresee change coming and work around it has to be one of the things that your family's most proud of. The most recent challenge of uh, the pandemic must put all those other times uh, into the shade, because I guess I guess the rise of the ebook w- would be close to this because we were all told it's done you know nobody's going yeah. to be using paper forget about it we're going to be on hoverboards very soon <laughs> and uh, you may set fire to your books what's your recollection of that period first of all and how does it compare to what you've just lived through now yeah i mean the ebook is, is a very interesting one because i remember they, they used to look at the sales on amazon and uh you know, sometimes the way these these headlines are framed, they they they'd say things like, you know, ebooks overtake hardback sales on Amazon, and then they'd say ebooks due to overtake paperback sales on Amazon next year, and then they finally overtake paperback sales, and they say ebooks now going to overtake total printed book sales in two years or three years or whatever. But what they never said was paperback sales and hardback sales were increasing all the time as well, mm. and a rising you know, tide. Yeah, and I think sometimes the the way it's framed can be, you know, slightly disingenuous. And and they've actually fallen back a bit in, in recent years. The ebook, I suppose. Look, we were worried about it, but but when a lot of that ebook thing was happening, was the the crash and the end of the Celtic Tiger, and I and a bit like Brexit and COVID. You know, everyone was worried about Brexit kind of on the horizon, and then COVID kind of put Brexit in the shade for us in the in the last year. And the same thing happened with ebooks. You know, we were all kind of conscious of it and worried about it, but. All of a sudden, there was the far more immediate impact of the the Celtic Tiger disappearing overnight. So yeah, it, I mean the, the the crash and and the ebooks and all that that was that was massively difficult. It really, really, really was because were you um, worried through that period? Oh yeah, oh absolutely, yeah. Because it, everything 
changed overnight, you know, and, and, and so you would things like if you take American universities who we do an awful lot of business with, you know, they they go into kind of hibernation mode. They cut all their budgets immediately overnight. So if you come in in, a, in the morning and, you know, you're going in in the car and you're listening to Morning Ireland and it's disaster, 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 you know, and then you get in and everyone is emailing you from across the water saying we're, you know, not buying anything else till next year because, you know, we've got to keep a count of budgets or whatever. And, you know, we have an art gallery and art, gal- you know, art is obviously a luxury and it's, you know, that kind of the business, you know, went down very, very substantially overnight, having grown kind of very substantially for the previous kind of 10, 15 years before that. And uh, and then book sales, you know, they didn't disappear or anything, but they went down as well. And, and it, yeah, it was a very worrying time. But I think we're always looking for, like you mentioned change and, and not being worried about change. I mean, throughout throughout my life here in the, in the shop, like we, we have at various points, you know, embrace change and say, you know, change is not something to be scared of. And even though I suppose we were kind of frightened and we were, you know, and not every decision, big decision that we make ends up being the correct one by any manner of means. But, but I suppose we were, we weren't frightened of doing a few different things and trying to, to package things and sell things in different ways. So when we talk to Joanne, and when we talk to Kevin Gildee, and I really do urge the listeners to go back and listen to those two episodes from the last two weeks, because it is such a varied landscape, independent booksellers. And the past year has really brought into focus across all of our endeavors, the impact of our decisions on those around us and the businesses that we cherish in our neighborhoods. Are you feeling that now when you watched locals actively make the choice, no, we want Kenny's to exist ahead of, you know, an Amazon uh, model. We would like our locale to have these institutions still in them. Are you seeing that or feeling that or is it actively said to you? Yeah, it is. It is. And it's, it's, it has been really noticeable. I mean, particularly it's like summer of last year is when we, because everybody who was ordering, not everybody, but, but a, a sizable chunk of people who were ordering started emailing us, you know, saying that uh, once they'd gotten the books. And um, normally when you're getting customer service emails, it might be because something has gone wrong or the, <laughs> it doesn't, hasn't arrived, you know. It's really good news. Yeah. Yeah. And genuinely, I came in one Monday morning in last June and I thought, oh, no, you know, something like I'm, I'm post have lost a cage full of parcels or something because there was so many emails. But I remember a huge amount of them were exactly that saying, you know, we're like we want to support Irish, we want to support local. And, and I suppose our, our business particularly on our website is based around trying to be cheap. So all the books are discounted. So it's, it's, we're very similar or better price wise to Amazon, which, which people don't sometimes realize, you know, cause everyone assumes Amazon is the cheapest for everything. And the reality for Amazon in Ireland is that most of the books you're buying on Amazon or, or somebody you might buying, they're actually buying it through third party sellers. So through bookshops who have an account on Amazon and those bookshops are paying Amazon kind of 25%, uh, you know, as a fee for selling on there. And so if you don't have to sell on Amazon, 
then you're the cheap, you know, you can cut your price by 25%, which is basically what we did. We, we used to sell with Amazon. We stopped and we, we set up our own site and, and or we, we put more effort into our own site and uh, just cut our prices. And uh, so we found that a lot of people were making a really kind of concerted effort to shop with local people and with and but but then in in so doing they kind of you know realized that the prices were good which which i suppose from a long-term point of view is fantastic because they were a trying to do something positive and good and then realized oh actually the service is good and the price is good so i, I will do this again you know it's not a one-off kind of covid sort of um dividend to be getting people in june and yeah and everybody i talked to has had the same experience every other bookseller up and down the country you know where and and not just that, but coffee shops. You know, like like the, the, there's a friend of mine. He's a coffee shop in Mycullen, which is on the way to Clifton, and he he's had the same sort of experience, which is that you know they've been a lot busier than they ever were before, and that's because people are working from home and they're living in those towns now, whereas before they were traveling into Galway or Limerick or Cork or Dublin and doing everything in the city centre, and now they're doing it, you know, in their local shop their local high street and, and it's having such a huge um impact you know on them and, and on us and, and 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 we really really do feel i suppose the the generosity of those people because you know like we took a huge chance last april we were really nervous like everybody else we didn't know what the future held for our business or for the world and uh you know we took a huge chance all the publishers were closing their warehouses because of COVID concerns. So we bought in an absolutely enormous amount of stock with the idea that we'd be able to trade online through the summer. And, you know, it, it was a really scary amount of books to buy, you know, like you're talking about 20, 30 times more than we normally would. And, um, you know, not only did it work, which was fantastic, and we sold the books and, you know, but the, the, the generosity of people, both in buying from us and in, I suppose, letting us know their positive experience with us carried us through the summer because you know it was really tough in here we had about half the staff were at home cocooning or or whatever and you know it was it was stressful trying to get everything done while also maintaining all the new protocols that we had in place and you know we were able to do that but to, i suppose at the end of that day have the reward as it were of people getting in touch and saying thank you so much and we you know we're actively trying to support you as opposed to amazon or whoever like it really did you know it meant you were going home in a positive frame of mind which was all too rare in the last 15 months for 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 many people and uh i can't say enough how thankful we are to to all those people uh for supporting us because it's uh it made all the difference uh, to us and to lots of other local businesses and fingers crossed uh, it'll continue into the future. Well, I cannot wait to uh, complete my trip back to Ireland to June, <laughs> July 22nd. I'll be doing the rounds of the country to oh, all these brilliant bookstores. And I can't wait to call into Kenny's in Galway. Kenny's.ie is the website you want to go to. Have a look over there. I mean, it is astonishing what you've done. And even just that history page is something to behold. I really enjoyed this chat, Tomas, and wish you the very best of luck on behalf of all the Irish Man Abroad listeners. We, we will be back, of course, next week with more and a different independent bookseller around Ireland. Marion McKeown will be here on Friday for the Politics Podcast. And on Sunday... A man who's just qualified for the Olympics, another Tomas, Tom Barr, is going to be here. 
brilliant Irish athlete and we'll get to hear his thoughts on his journey to Tokyo this summer but once again Tomas Kenny thank you so much for taking the time to do this Brian Connolly is on sound John Marr does the extra research Tina and Mikey make it all possible and our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie the youth mental health charity is doing extraordinary work across lockdown a bit like Tomas keeping people on the straight and narrow and helping young people survive this really difficult time Tomas take care of yourself and I'll talk to you soon in person thanks Jared cheers